let's get started. All right, so this is Teaching My Wife About Tech, which is our weekly live podcast that we do. And our first topic for tonight is based on a article that I saw on Ars Technica about autopilot cars and the law. So something about Tesla getting into trouble with the law. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with uh, Tesla, the makers of a very prolific and successful electric car, have a service which is known as autopilot or fully autonomous mode. They are currently being investigated by the Department of Justice in America for being deceptive about how autopilot or fully self-driving their self-driving mode is. Their lawyers have come back and said essentially, oh, when we mean fully autonomous self-driving, we don't actually mean fully autonomous self-driving. I'm pretty sure that every single article where there has been someone who's died, they have come back and said, oh, at no point are you allowed to not have your hands on the wheel, right? That was like the thing. And so that's how they keep so, their yeah, hands it, clean. It doesn't, it doesn't properly engage unless you have your hands on the wheel every few seconds. And yeah, I look... I, I think that the law is also just very murky here because obviously there's, are there any, I actually don't know, are there any specific laws when it comes to autopilot cars? Yes. So uh, this was going back to 2010, I want to say. The uh, uh, America, because we're talking about America, there. Well, America is car... the only country that has like automatic cars right now right that that are on public roads i feel like there's no other places well you can get a tesla shipped to most countries okay yeah but do they all have the autonomous pilot thing if you're willing to pay for it yes because it's a subscription it's it's not a subscription but it's something you have to pay for when you get the car yeah it's it's an extra the the fully autonomous (sighs) self-driving ignore um so with uh with this back in 2010 the the american government agency which is responsible for licensing cars actually came up with a system for rating how autonomous a car is and it's a series of guidelines because everything's a bit um everything's a bit sort of murky and unclear but the idea was um you could put you know, a car manufacturer could go to this agency, provide their car and um, get it rated on a scale of one to five of how autonomous it was. And based on their, the skill of their automacy or their autonomy, autonomy, sorry, that's the word I was thinking (laughs) for, based on on their autonomy, um, they could get a rating and that would help sell them to say, oh yes, this has been certified as a rating level so what three certification or four. does Tesla have? I believe it's a three. So I'm are there cars that have a higher rating? Not that I'm aware. Okay, Pretty so the Tesla everything. has the highest. Okay, but the scale. There's, there's a few cars with the highest rating attain, um, that, that has been attained, like on the same level. 
but it's not all the way. Level five is you are allowed to sell this car without a steering wheel. Okay, but that that doesn't exist right yet, right? No. Oh my god, that's so interesting. But they've made this scale, so they're like legislating for the future. Yes, it was a really brilliant part of forward planning because you know it's becoming part of the discussion that cars are expected to become fully more and more self-driving that's actually so, so interesting let's, let's put in this scale yeah and so oh but tesla's only a three ah see how can anyone think oh gosh i can just go on autopilot it's only a three e- e- exactly and there's so many anecdotal stories of you know of this not working perfectly not going well there's famously people who go out and experiment with the self-driving to see how it handles certain situations, risking their lives um, to yeah. film footage of the autopilot not working. That's a bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen any of this footage. Uh, I'm probably probably better yeah, it, if I don't watch it. It's yeah. Bit, sounds so a bit scary, but fine to stay ignorant all right well that's yeah. really interesting uh, are there any other countries that have laws relating to self-driving cars or not yet so we may as well mention australia because we are filming this in australia australia doesn't have as vigorous scale but they have some early um early things in the works about doing some similar let, let's write and test but they're being a little bit more cautious and reactive. They, they're they kind of developing their measurement as the technology actually proves itself. So they're not having rigid levels. They're like, we will see the technology we'll see how works it goes. Mm. and then we will give it, a, give it a rating and rather than limit ourselves to, say, five, we will just build on how things are working and then scale everything accordingly. See, I feel like there's pros and cons to that because... On the one hand, you're like, oh, no, well, you know, we'll just, we'll evolve, right? But on the other hand, you know, you're, you're kind of behind of the times already because it takes a long time for legislation to go through. So it's like, oh, yeah. we'll just see how it goes. That kind of, you're already too late by then. But anyway, um, so my other final question that I had in relation to self-driving cars and just Tesla in general is electric vehicles. Is that where everything's heading because i've i've seen a lot about the pros and cons on electric vehicles and i just i wanted to get your take on it my my take and um it's uh this is this is the type of very loaded question which can cause all sorts of debate i say there is a time and place for electric vehicles and that's actually like 95% of situations where you will probably get to a place where electric cars are like the best option. I think we need to move on from lithium. I think there's better battery technology kind of in the pipeline, but it's a long way off. Um, I just don't like lithium for it being explosive and uh, what it takes to refine it, but then I feel like no matter what we pick in terms of that, there's going to be an environmental. Th- there's impact. always going to be terrible environmental impacts. That being said, I feel like there's, um, I feel like there's use cases that will require more long haul or more long haul solutions. I, I think that there's, uh, there's situations out there that 
need different, different So another alternative to electric cars that I read about was hydrogen cars. So I know that hydrogen cars have been around for a long time and they used to introduce all these buses and things and then they stopped doing that. Do, do you know anything about that? The issue with hydrogen was an issue of scale. Uh, producing hydrogen in the quantity uh, necessary to say all the cars in a given city or metropolis, let's get everybody driving hydrogen cars. We don't have the technology to nicely produce that much hydrogen to constantly keep those cars fueled up. In the case of what we're digging out of the ground and everything, lithium is, in the broader sense of the word, more sustainable than hydrogen okay see that seems odd to me because we have so much water and like hydrogen's just in the water all we would need Mm. is you know a little bit of sun and then we'd create hydrogen so i mean look i'm just i don't know anything about this stuff so that's why it doesn't make sense to me but okay there was a long-standing conspiracy theory in the u.s that somebody had developed a water-powered car and that had been destroyed or it had been suppressed by the government but if you think about it for 10 minutes like using fresh water to power a car is just a stupid waste of water with how much of a finite resource it is yeah well i mean if it could be salt water that would that would work if we could get hydrogen out of seawater in a way that's semi-reliable and scales well yeah then yeah, then I could see that being a thing. But I mean, desalination is already a whole other issue. But anyway, yeah, it takes so much energy and everything. That, yeah. yeah. Well, fifty percent of Perth's water is desalinated water, so you know that's the has teacher in me who knows that. All right. So uh, next topic, I think that we are ready to move on. Unless anyone has any questions about autopilot or Tesla or uh, any of those topics, because I know very little. Uh, yeah, you can kind of see it. Because uh, I don't have any more questions, but maybe somebody else does. So if you don't have any more questions, then we're going to move on to 3D printing. Now, the reason why I thought 3D printing was an interesting topic is because I know there have been a lot of advances in 3D printing. But the one thing that I am a little bit like, you see those videos of 3D printed houses, right? And you're like, okay, but at what point is it just a construction method? And at what point do we stop calling it 3D printing? Because it's a little bit silly to have just a machine that kind of just squirts out material and go like, ah, yeah, that's 3D printing. But anyway, that's just me. Please. If if you wanted to get all technical and do it, well, actually, it's not called 3D printing. It's called rapid prototyping. Oh. Because a long time ago, when the material that this was using was not really such a stable material. It wasn't as hard as you can now use in a 3D printer. These technologies were initially called rapid prototypers because you put in a shape, it can spit out a model of it very, very quickly. So it was very good for testing various aspects of engineering projects by just getting you a little plastic piece or a little piece um, made from the sort of wax. Yeah, the polymer that it... um, that it extrudes. It is it is a construction material. The difference is that if you are 3D printing a house, you can have a house that's all kind of one piece or multiple pieces which slot together easier. It's it is a construction material, you are right on the money. 
Okay, um, so it's just a way to construct It's just things. a way to construct things. So when we're talking about a 3D printed house, we're talking about a house that you can, you know, break into pieces and put together, and then all of a sudden when you're on site and you're building the house, oh, you've just got to get a bunch of laborers to assemble the house and put it together. You don't need a dedicated bricklayer. So are brick the laborers 3D printers? Sorry. You, you don't need a dedicated bricklayer. You don't need somebody there assembling wooden panels and bolting them all together or stapling them all together. The In machine ways, does the work for you. You get, you, you get a simpler material and you need less diverse, a less diverse set of roles on site constructing your house. Like the base, the core of it can be simpler and faster. Okay, so I know what we can do now with 3D printing, but where are we going to go? What is the future of 3D printing? Like what else can we do? 3D printers, as you know or pick up at like the supermarket or a um, hardware store earlier, they would be running on... Sorry, yeah. because I know that 3D printers have been used to make guns. Yes, yes. The, the famous case of the 3D printed, um, 3D printed gun and the stories uh, involving one that like exploded in someone's face and things like that because of... And what, let me guess, it was America and they sued the designer of the 3D gun or? Uh, no, it was somebody trying to rob a bank and they tried to fire it and they had actually poorly assembled it. And it was yeah, user error. <laughs> it was, it was user error. And that's kind of in the background that anything can be used uh, maliciously. But in terms of 3D printing, it's always about the uh, materials that's where you get your headlines and why it pops up every so often is when someone um, someone either makes a bigger extruder that can make a larger object at scale faster or more, more solid or you have a more interesting material I think the most exciting thing happening in 3d printing is people getting stronger and stronger metal to be extruded and 3d printed because suddenly that gives you an option to make something out of steel or metal that's very lightweight and strong and can be assembled in a single piece and doesn't need to be welded or I just I struggle with even thinking about how that would work like how can you make a machine that melts metal and then like has it cool down quick enough to be in a specific shape you mean a blacksmith well yeah but like I'm a, like you know what a mechanical I know it, I know it. A, a mechanical thing and especially when you're feeding in metal that's on like a reel that's just like a thin strand that's being wound into a spool and it's going into a machine and it's being melded and then precisely cooled in such a way that you actually get a solid object I just, out I, of it I, I my brain does not which compute. is which is why they're not everywhere yet they're not like the uh, they're not the default option yet is because there's still uh, there's still limitations to this and the process hasn't been perfected yet we're still we're still, still working work. on it yeah well I'm curious to see how much we're going to be able to do I did not know that metal 3d printing was a thing so that's yeah. something I've learned today yeah. all right let's move on from 3d printing into space junk so my big question about space junk is what's the problem with space junk and why is it an issue at all so space junk is 
what is it first of all what is space junk when we go um when people have gone into space and but when i say people i mean of course you know mainly governments some private vehicles but when they've gone into space um stuff gets jettisoned sometimes it's something large like a fuel tank or something like that sometimes it's small stuff like uh when a satellite breaks up um you know there's it collides with something else or uh i'm going to use the wrong term here asteroid i think that's the wrong one if a rock floating in through space hits the satellite and breaks it up yeah breaks it up um you suddenly get small pieces of satellite just sort of floating around uh, but there's also numerous objects uh seeing like screws and pens and just junk that's been floating that's floated off an astronaut has had it and then lost it and it's so gone what, what can we do about it and why is it a problem so the big thing is uh, about it being a problem is that when you are trying to leave earth's atmosphere you are going at a very very fast speed and relative to you these objects which could just be you know floating in quite a small stable orbit will hit you at a very very fast pace um there's sort of the maths is if you are leaving um yeah if you are leaving earth's atmosphere and you collide with an object that say um i believe the example i was i was given was a screw that was five centimeters long that's enough to take out a window of um of a shuttle or rocket i'm glad you like it yes um and so all this stuff that's just kind of floating around prevents us or makes it difficult for us to leave and launch new things so you know it takes a lot of money and a lot of planning to put a satellite into space and you don't want your very ex- expensive to satellite be to be destroyed space on space the way of, yeah. way of space that that's been floating there there is a uh, there is a famous kind of uh, paradox or um, hypothesis put forward that if we're not careful, we'll have all these old satellites and they'll collide with each other and we have all this junk in space. There will be so much junk around the planet floating there in, in a state that whatever we try to launch would get destroyed. We would become stuck on Earth um, in a... Like, in, in a, a bubble in a bubble of our own making due to the fact that we haven't been cleaning up our junk. It's a good question. What if this space junk comes back into our orbit? Okay, so a lot of it is actually very, very small piece. A lot of it would burn up, which um, which is kind of like the two solutions, simpler solutions proposed to clean it up is either pulling it back to Earth so it gets burnt up in the atmosphere or pushing it away further. But when you've got so many hundreds of millions of objects floating around put a net around so you go on a little spaceship and you have a little net and then you grab the space junk and you drag it you are not far off (laughs) people are honest honestly you read the nasa discussion papers on the space junk problem and they just go wild and just say this is such a problem Nothing is off the table. Nothing is too stupid to solve this problem. Magnets! So, yeah. there, there Huge is stuff, magnets! There is stuff like uh, flying a spacecraft, giant electromagnet, 
through space trying to collect this. Bombs. Big bombs. I, I can't think of bombs, but there was there, there was some theories. I remember this like late 90s article where they were trying to conceive if there was a way to create a giant vacuum around um, around Earth to um, suck everything in. That seems really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like the plot of a movie where everything goes horribly wrong and there's only yeah. one man left so standing. Th this has been... This has been um, I'm pretty sure there is an Ian M. Banks book, which is... Uh, he's a sci-fi writer. I'm pretty sure one of his novels is dealing with this problem and all the stupid solutions that will be required to fix it or wow. will be attempted to fix it. Wow. Well, um, yeah. I look forward to hearing some sort of update on what yeah. they're actually going to do. Because a fun fact, the first time I remember reading about this was my dad showing me an article in the paper and that was 1996. And they were saying, oh, this is a really interesting problem. We need to do something. And I've read, or you sent me an article today and... The differences between that article I read today and that article that I read, you know, 20, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, there's so little difference. Everybody's still just like, huh? What do we do? What do we do? This is, this well, is a really hard so, problem. Everyone's so focused on going to Mars that nobody is <laughs> focused on the stuff in between the space junk, right? There, there's, there's people. I mean, there, there are um, satellites, a lot of them to actually get them into space, do have basic controls to perform manoeuvres to get around larger pieces of junk that would destroy them. That's a very common thing for when you put a satellite. All right, up. well, that definitely clarified a few of the questions that I yeah. had re regarding space junk. All right, moving on to the very last subject of the night is uh, Google has taken a bit of a financial hit. Uh, I can't, can't actually remember. Oh, it's something about the earnings report. Actually, the reason why I decided to add this question is because I was curious about how the economy is going to influence, you know, or stifle our innovation. And like, because that's like a big problem, right? We, we rely on these big companies like Google to innovate technology for us. If they take a huge hit, they, you know, they dropped a whole bunch of programs and stuff that they were pouring money into and now i'm like oh well you know we are so reliant on our economy i was ju i just wanted to chat about it so please hi dos <laughs> there's been a number of of large technology companies have announced their earnings this week uh they generally all kind of clump together whether intentionally or unintentionally and this time, as with most things in the economy, and this is not an economy podcast. I'm sorry if you're looking for biting. I can answer econo economic questions. <laughs> I don't. Okay. I don't know anything about technology, okay. but economy, I can. I can. Okay. Um. So a whole I have lot. Have a degree. <laughs> a whole lot of companies. So it was Microsoft, Tesla, Google, all announced their their earnings, and that all kind of missed expectations and their um, stocks slumped and this is part of the I saw that Google actually lost 28% yeah that is were, really that's huge they were uh, yeah 
very largely hit. And uh, to sort of address your question, there's there's no really good answer. I mean, if if we're relying on a private company to provide a service, but that company can't make money anymore or is having trouble making money and they can't support the things we rely on, then we have to find something else. It says, please tell us again about your economy knowledge. Lachlan loves it when you interrupt him. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, look, um, trying not to ruin the topic too much, I find it a little bit shocking because these earning misses in the scale when you're talking about billions, to me, they they weren't very big. And as you say, these are large companies. A lot of people depend on them. It shocks me that, like, missing a target by, like, 2% or 5% just makes everybody freak out and say, oh, we're pulling our our money out. Obviously, that company is going to die in the next 6 months or 12 months. It just shocks me that people treat these large companies that they do it. We've got someone asking, what's your credibility? (laughs) No, your line of work. So he's, he's a systems... Engineer. 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 Lead system engineer is my current title. If you want to, you know, break into my life. (laughs) So he knows things about computers. He works with them every day. Yes. But he's not a programmer or anything like that. No. Um, Just as a... uh, We'll go on a little tangent. Uh, So, yes, you've got your programmers. I'm in the infrastructure space, keeping everything up. So making sure that the systems that those programs rely on um, are... He's the army medic. Yeah, yeah, keep keeping things up, um, gi- giving everybody flashlights when the power goes out. Oh, that go. kind of thing, like that, that. that kind of metaphor. Now, um, so my line of work, and I'm sorry to derail the podcast that, topic. That's all good. My line of work, um, it's very interesting. It's actually going through a transition. So if you've been scared about your job being lost to autonomy or apps or anything like that, an interesting thing is happening in MySpace where the management of keeping servers up, keeping infrastructure up is getting a lot simpler and easier to manage. Uh, cloud services allow really easy deployment of new oh, services. Oh, you think you're going to be automated out? There is this new sort of job or new area that's popped up in the last few years called DevOps. And what this is, is programmers who have a little bit of understanding of my role. And this is means that there are companies out there which get rid of my role and just allow the programmers to manage the systems as well. So my space is becoming a lot more niche. Oh, okay. And I mean, it's still it's still a long term term thing. I'm not saying my job's going to disappear in the next you're five ten years. You're relevant for now. <laughs> I'm I'm relevant for now, but yeah, if you're scared about your job job being disappeared or transforming, that that happens in IT as well. IT is a very like even more fickle space in some ways because things get Ooh. introduced and then die out. Okay, in your opinion, if you wanted to go into IT what would be the space that you recommend people go into? I, this, he does not know I was going to ask this question. Yeah. So I'm just... 
Okay, look, De DevOps is a really, uh, really interesting space. If you want to work at a startup, um, DevOps is is a massively expanding space. So what I'm that sorry, means what is, is DevOps? So development operations. Okay. So it is. Sorry, sorry, acronym De DevOps development operations. It is being a programmer, but understanding the underlying infrastructure as well, and knowing how to troubleshoot when a server or service goes down, you bring it back up as well as being the one to actually program and run applications on there. At the moment, no, no one is gonna have, um, sorry, at the moment, being a programmer of a up and coming language like Rust or Go, um, I think is a is a really good good asset if you've got the mind for a programmer i don't have those skills um if you can program learn something that's really commonly used your java your c plus plus your c even though they're horrible to work with they're used everywhere and that will open up your opportunities if you're going into programming if you want to go into my area so this is the area you'd go into if you start on help desk, start at support, and then you move into third line support and infrastructure support. Um, your best starting point is to have an interest uh, fixing your parents' internet when it goes down. <laughs> you start with that, and then um, yeah, you learn to you learn to read error messages and Google error messages, and then you go and do you can do it. TAFE degree, you can do a university degree, but really you've just got to find, um, whether you get do those a, skills. Whether you yeah. do a TAFE degree or a uni degree, it doesn't really matter in no. the end because all they care about is your experience. At least that's yeah. how I've seen it from get, just multiple people that I know that ha that do the same thing. Yeah. He's got a university degree, but many people that have a TAFE degree get, TAFE is uh, like college, well, like. It's, it's the one it's the step. Lower that's yeah it's it's tertiary education but considered under under university she says i i can do that they usually think it's down when it really is an easy task yeah i mean nine you know uh, the it crowd right you know have you tried turning it off and on again like yeah. <laughs> that's 90 yeah. percent of the lower down jobs if you're in desktop it'll be yeah. like is your computer plugged in yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then and then you learn oh yes um you know have you tried turning it off and on the vm have you tried turning off and on the service? Have you tried turning off and on the hype, uh, the hyperconverged cluster? It just gets more and more. <laughs> it's it's still checking if it's still rebooting things. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for tonight's topics. So yeah. unless anyone has any other questions, that was very interesting and it went on a very interesting tangent, in yeah. my opinion. But yes. yeah. So that's it. That's yeah. I've learned some new things. I've definitely learned some new things about autopilot and the law here in Australia and the fact that they are not looking at the future and 3D printing and space junk. Yes. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who tuned in and thank you for your questions and your engagement. <laughs> Would the cats on Lachlan's shirt be considered space junk as well? <laughs> organic matter does freeze in space and frozen organic matter in space becomes very dense and it does become very dangerous 
Ooh, they're adorable. Yes. They, so they're they not, definitely adorable. not junk. No. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. And good to see you again. And I hope everyone has a lovely evening. <laughs> good night. I'm glad. Good night. Bye.